Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 2, if you would. And you'll notice that we're very, very much off track tonight because we should be studying from the book of Joshua, and I've asked you to turn uh, to the book of Revelation. The story of my message tonight is that um, yesterday, about 4 o'clock, Brother Melvin Jones called me. He was scheduled to preach this evening, and uh, he said, I'm not going to be able to make it. And uh, he said, I, uh, will you be able to cover that, that service tomorrow night? Well, I'm the pastor of the church. I had to say yes, of course. I, I, I think I will. So um, I uh, got over here back to the church here about 6.30 last night, and I was trying to decide what am I going to preach tonight because I'm totally unprepared, and I haven't really... I'm, you know, I've got some messages that are written that are in various stages as I write uh, pretty much far ahead. But it takes a little while to kind of get those things to the place that you want to preach them. So what I did is I went back to a message that I preached here uh, five years ago. Now, Brother Gary told me a few minutes ago, he said, well, you could have just taken the one you preached this morning and cut it in half and <laughs> preached the other tonight. <laughs> now, that was a pretty good suggestion, but I didn't think about it in time. So uh, I preached this sermon uh, about five, well, five years ago. It'll be five years ago in just a few weeks. Some of you may not be aware, but last Sunday was the fifth anniversary of uh, Pastor Cregan when he resigned the church here. And just about four or five weeks, it'll be the fifth anniversary of me becoming pastor. And uh, I preached this sermon on the night that I became pastor of the church and uh, that was about 700 messages ago, by the way, <laughs> 700 ago. And uh, when, I, when I preached this message, it was really a, a very much, quite a bit different message than I'm going to preach tonight. I mean, I've kind of taken the same outline, but we were looking at a very much different church five years ago. I thought that there were uh, problems in the church at that time. I thought there were some doctrinal issues that needed to be corrected. Uh, there were problems, there were uh, you know, there's a lot of secrecy in the church. There was a lot of uh, shenanigans, as far as I was concerned, that were going on. And I really thought that those things needed to be corrected. And I hope that each of you can say with me tonight, those of you that have been around that long, that we do have a very much different church than we had five years ago. And, and uh, I, I thank the Lord, uh, of course, that we do. But the title of that sermon that I preached five years ago was Fundamentally Flawed. And I was looking at the problems that were in the church at the time and, and trying to just compare that to what we found, find in the Scriptures to something that Jesus said to the uh, uh, churches in, in the book of Revelation. He spoke to the seven churches of Asia, and he gave them a message to each one of those churches. And the message that we receive from Revelation is really one that uh, is, uh, is applicable to, to our lives today and to churches today. And I think that they were intended to be indicative of churches of all time. Jesus gave seven individual messages, and it just so happens that one of those messages that he gave was to the church that we've been studying about on Wednesday nights for about the last year and a half. It was the message to the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus was a church that, that really had received some good, solid teaching from the Apostle Paul. But here we are uh, many years later, about 30 to 40 years later, and now the church there in Ephesus has become fundamentally flawed. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I'd like you to stand with me as we read God's Word. We're looking at Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, John, the Apostle, is writing, and he records the words of Jesus... Uh, he writes in, in the second chapter, verse 1, Unto the angel 
of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And of course, that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are Jesus' words beginning in verse number 2. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. I do ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to learn something from this message tonight, certainly something that we can apply to our church if we do have problems that need to be corrected. Bless our people in this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I say, this this message that Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus was to a church that was established about 40 years before this time. And when Paul established the Ephesian church, it really was a good, solid church. I mean, you really couldn't pick up the book of Ephesians and read uh, the different doctrinal things that Paul had to say there and not clearly understand that here is a church who must have had some things right and they could understand the things that Paul was writing to them. But now here we are, uh, 40 years later after that, Paul had established the church, but at this time that we're reading now, this was not the same church that Paul had established. Now, for sure, from reading the scriptures that we've just read, that this was a strong, separated, fundamental church. It had some of the right doctrines, but the fundamentalism of Paul was not the fundamentalism that Jesus was speaking about in the church that, at that particular time. And so the church had become fundamentally flawed. So here is a church that's sound in doctrine, but we find that the problem is that it's defective in its love. So we have a church that's right on separation. It's wrong in its devotion. We have a church that still has the zeal, but the love of the church had grown cold. And so now you have a church here that's in need of revival and a church that needed to repent. Well, I think that there's something that we can learn from this and we can see what happens to a church when it does become fundamentally flawed. So let's look at some of the characteristics that we see about this church, first of all. And we notice, first, the works that defined the church. Jesus did say that this church has some works and there are some works that defined it. Now, in verse number two, it says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. I think that we can say, first of all, about this church, that it was a serving church. And we know that because Jesus says, I know thy works. This church had some works. It was a busy church. I think that there were people in the church at Ephesus that were very much involved in the ministry that was going on. And as I preached in the sermon this morning, I think that these were people that must have had a serving heart. They were involved with what was going on. They understood the issue of servanthood. This must have been a church that had outreach programs 
because it's apparent that it was still very prominent in in the city of Ephesus. So they probably had their soul winning programs. They had their ministries for children. They had teenage ministries. They had adult ministries. No doubt here is a church that has activity that goes on, much like churches that we have today, a church that has all kinds of programs that are happening. I mean, I suppose they had a a class for divorced couples and and one for single parents there. They probably had one for former drug addicts and, and alcoholics. And it really didn't matter who you were or where you came from in life. You could probably fit into some kind of ministry that was taking place in this church. Now, I want to say, first of all, that there's nothing wrong with having programs in a church. Programs can be very good for a church, but unfortunately, programs sometimes can become the main thing, and growing people in the Word, uh, in the Bible, and, and, and following Christ really becomes the secondary issue of the church. Programs are not wrong as long as those programs always keep their focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is a church that has works. Now, we notice also in verse number 2 that it says that they labored, and Jesus knew their labor. Now, particularly, the word labor here has reference to labor in the ministry and probably has most to do with preaching. So here is a church that's frequent with preaching of the gospel. They are untiring. They're, they're, They're willing to stand in there and to preach the word to the point of fatigue. And when they couldn't go any further, they still went further still. They preached the gospel when it was in season, when it was out of season. They preached to people whether they would receive that message joyfully or whether when they preached that the message went down like a number two pencil down the throat sideways. It didn't make any difference. They were going to preach the gospel. Of course, that's a lesson that we need to learn. Uh, We need to declare the whole counsel of the word of God. That's what we want to do. And if you sit here in the congregation tonight and you take the word of God well and you heed the word of God, then fine. That's what we want you to do. But if you decide that you're not going to take the word of God and the word of God makes you angry when it's preached, well, I'm sorry, we're going to preach it anyway. It doesn't make any difference whether it makes you upset or not. If it rubs you the wrong way, we're still going to preach the truth of God's word. So here you have a church that seems to be working very hard. It seems like they have things right. Now, secondly, about this church, we can say that it was a separated church. Now, again, here in verse number two, Jesus said, Thou canst not bear them which are evil. So we could say that these people are basically decent people. They, they wouldn't identify with the sin that was all around them. And certainly Ephesus was a very wicked city. All of the, those cities in the Roman Empire, they were rife with all kinds of corruption. And these people in this church, they were not going to have a part of what was going on around them. So they're a church that had established their standards and their convictions. Well, we're also a church that believes in standards and convictions. I mean, after all, Jesus said, by their fruit, ye shall know them. I'm a person who does believe in standard, and I think Christian people ought to live by a standard. But I'll tell you something that I won't do that many churches do, and that is I am not going to set myself up as judge and jury over the spiritual life of somebody else. And I'm not going to tell people that I know the will of God for your life, and if you don't do exactly what I say, then you are out of the will of God. I think it's impossible for me to judge the activity of all members of the church and determine, is that person saved or not saved? Now, as I say that, it doesn't change the fact that churches do need discipline. 
And it doesn't change the fact that there are people in the church sometimes that become disruptive and they become divisive in the church. And there is a point when God says, when that happens, purge out the old leaven. And what he means by that is get rid of the sin, get rid of the problems of the church, put out the troublemakers. And of course, we have all across America today, churches that are plagued with troublemakers. There are people in churches that try to set themselves up against the leadership of the church. They try to tear the church down by their attitudes. And when they do that, they become themselves unproductive Christians. So we have to be careful about that. Watch your attitude as a Christian. Watch how you present yourself because an improper attitude is going to lead you astray. But there's one thing that we can say about the church at Ephesus. Here is a church that stood for a morally pure church membership. They believed in being holy. There was no doubt about it. They believed, be holy as God is holy. But we look at another statement here in verse number 2 that also shows they're a separated church. In the last part of the verse, it says, Thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now, I could preach about that statement all night. There are lots of false apostles that are out there. And here are some people that are truly people of the book. They understood what the Word of God had to say. And so when a person came along preaching a false doctrine, when there was a false apostle who showed up, they knew how to take that person and prove what they believed by the Word of God. So they could stand up against those false, those false teachers. And you know, folks, there are many Christians who can't do that today. There are many Christians that cannot defend what they believe. Sadly, I'd have to say probably most Christians really cannot defend the faith in the way that they should. I mean, if you've ever had a a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness come to your door and they talk to you and all of a sudden you hear what they have to say and you get all flustered and you get tongue-tied because you don't know how to answer them, you know why that is? It's because they know their doctrine better than you know your doctrine. And that's what they're counting on. I mean, they're expecting that they're going to go to the doors of people, some even who are Christians, and they're going to find out that these people really don't know very much about the Word of God at all. And so they're able to twist things around, and that's the way that they gain their following. But I would tell you that you need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. You ought to be able to go to the Word of God and understand what God's Word teaches and explain to people exactly why such and such is wrong and why they're preaching a wrong doctrine. And I'll say this as well, that members of Berean Baptist Church, you need to know what Baptists believe. And I firmly think that we need to know what Baptists believe. We're Baptists for a reason, folks. Let's understand what Baptists believe. And I say that because there are a lot of Baptist preachers who don't know what Baptists believe. I have a whole library over here that can tell you what Baptist people have believed and preached for the last hundreds of years. And and what we've seen in the Baptist church in the last 50 years or so is not what the Bible was teaching and not what Baptists have believed for all these years. And I'm talking about years going back to the time of Jesus and going back to the Apostle Paul. I'm talking about old-time Baptist historic doctrines. And unfortunately... 
Most Baptist preachers don't know anything about that anymore. And so preachers have become very shallow in their preaching today. They don't really know anything about these doctrines of God's Word. I mean, you take a Baptist preacher today and ask him to tell you, well, well, explain this thing to me about justification by faith and explain to me about the imputation of of Christ's righteousness to the believer and tell me how this happens that the the sins of the guilty are, are imputed to Jesus Christ as the Savior. Tell me about the atonement. How does that work? And folks, they'll have a big blank stare on their face because they have no idea even what you're talking about. They haven't dealt with those kinds of issues, and so they don't know how to preach them. Now, preachers today in our Baptist churches, they are very concerned about this. They want to be practical preachers. Be a practical preacher. And what that means to them is I've got to take the social contemporary issues of the day and I've got to deal with issues like how you dress and where you go and what you do, which are all good things that we need to concentrate on. But I'll tell you this, if you spend all of your time preaching practical things and you don't preach any doctrinal things, you're going to end up with doctrinally weak people. And that's why people can't defend their faith. They're concerned about all these other issues that they got nailed down and got them right, but they don't know what the Word of God is teaching. They don't know about those doctrines I've just talked to you about. So you have Baptist churches today that in fact are fundamentally flawed when it comes to the issue of sound doctrine. Folks, when you have Baptist churches that can't get the doctrine of salvation right, for goodness sakes, you've got a problem. And when these churches are trying to figure out, is God in control or is man in control? Who makes the decisions and who does this and who does that? And when you are confused and you don't understand that God controls salvation, you've got a church that's fundamentally flawed. You've got somebody preaching the wrong doctrine. But here you have a church, they believe the Bible, they have sound doctrine, it appears, they defend the word And they know how to approach a false apostle and set him straight when he preaches the wrong thing. Now, here's a third thing about this church. It was a steadfast church. This is not a church that's weary with well-doing. Now, sometimes in your Christian life, do you ever get weary with well-doing? I mean, you have all kinds of problems that come, and you're always wanting to do the right thing all the time, and that's good, you ought to. But it seems like, you know... um, Troubles just keep coming, things just keep happening, and you just wish things would ease up just a little bit. You know, and, and you wonder, why, why is it that the little things that are in people's lives affect them so much like really big things? You know, I have to worry sometimes as the pastor about whether I want to move this chair six inches closer to that chair. And the reason that I do is because the person who puts the chairs on the platform might get offended if I do that. People take petty issues and they escalate those into big things that really don't matter at all. And that causes all kinds of fighting and fussing in a church. And sometimes as a pastor, you like to stand back and just say, oh me, I mean, I wish this kind of stuff would end. You get tired of it. But here is a church that faced a lot of opposition. I mean, if you were in the city of Ephesus in that day, there was a lot of opposition But here's a church that didn't give up. They kept on fighting. They kept on struggling. They kept on wrestling. And there were people who knew that they had a city that they needed to win to Jesus Christ. And so they kept on. They had a lot of works, as I just said, in this church. Now, let's consider this then. Here we have a serving church. We have a separated church. We have a steadfast church. Here's a church that looks like it has all the right stuff. And it appears to be fundamentally sound. 
Here's a church that's fundamental right down to the shine on their shoes. And Jesus said, there are some things that I agree with you on. And he commends them for these, these different things. But still, there's something wrong with the church. They were fundamentally flawed. And it happens that this flaw is so serious that in that fifth verse, we see that Jesus is telling them, you are in danger of having your recognition as a Baptist church removed from you. That's how serious the flaw is. Well, there's some serious repentance that needed to go on in this church. Now, here's a church that looks like it has all the right things. They believe all the right things. They practice all the right things. But they need to repent of something. In verse number four, Jesus tells them about their fundamental flaw. Now, the thing that I want to talk to you about tonight is, secondly, is the weakness that derailed the church. The weakness that derailed the church. Now, look at verse number four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Jesus says, you have left your first love. Well, it's not as if these people don't have any affection for Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't love him at all. I mean, I'm sure that if you were to talk with them and say, do you love Jesus? Do you stand up for Jesus? And all the people in the church, absolutely, we love Jesus. And folks in here tonight, if I ask you, most of you said, do you love Jesus? Oh, absolutely, I do love Jesus. And so they would declare that love for Jesus. Every one of them stood up for that. But the problem was that Jesus was no longer first in their affections. They love Jesus, but he's not first in their affections. And isn't that a huge problem among Christian people? We've got so many things that we put higher than Jesus. We've got ourselves, we've got our jobs, we've got our families, we've got all kinds of different things in our lives. And we put that up above Jesus. Oh, we love him. Sure, we love him. We say we love him. But we have all these things that have actually become idols to us. And any time that you put something above Jesus, that very thing has become an idol to you. And I don't care what it is. And so when you forsake the work that you do for Jesus and put him second, then you, you no longer have the right relationship with him. So Jesus is no longer first in their affections. They have affection for him, but the love is out of order. Now, I want you to notice some things concerning the weakness of this church. A right performance had become more important than a right relationship. Here is a church that there, there, there happens to be over the years a subtle change of emphasis from falling in love with Jesus and following him, and the change comes to following the rules. Now no longer are they actually following Jesus, but now they're conforming to their standards, and their commitment to their standards is higher than their commitment to the Savior. So here's a church that's doing everything right, but they're doing it for the wrong motives. I've been a Bible-believing independent Baptist for 46 years now. And I've seen churches that are so concerned about their strict adherence to the rules that they no longer have real love for people. I mean, they can't deal with people on the level of just loving them and giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're so concerned about whether those very same people are keeping all the rules that they want them to keep. And so the love for Christ can't shine through that because they got other things on their mind. I've seen churches become a place where when someone walks into that church and they're just a little bit different from them and they've got just a little bit different twist about them or a different understanding about something, 
then that church just completely falls to pieces. We can't have that. You know, I'm smart enough to know that everybody that comes to church here doesn't agree with me on everything. I wish they did. Then everybody would be as smart and holy as I am. <laughs> That's a cross I have to bear. But, but since everybody doesn't agree, then I know what I have to do. I've got to pe- keep people around long enough that I'm able to teach them to see things my way. And here's what a pastor needs to do. I mean, he has to preach and he has to deal with people and work with them and try to get everybody going the same direction and the pastor unifies the church. So he tries to get everybody singing out of the same songbook and singing the same page. That's part of the work of a pastor. And when we get unified as a church, then the disabling divisions that we have, those things are no longer there. Now, you as members of the church... You ought to care enough about people that you are able to tolerate little differences between people long enough to give people the truth. Now, I've got some news for you. People that come to church and they get saved and they're new Christians, they do not automatically know what you know. They don't automatically walk into the Christian life knowing everything that they're supposed to do and have everything right now. These people need some guidance by the Holy Spirit. They need some help, and they need some teachers. They need some people to to go along with them and help them out in the areas that they don't understand. And so I hope that we love the Lord enough and love people enough that we can stick with them long enough that they get things right. Well, here's a church with weakness. They're concerned about nitty-gritty little performance issues instead of their true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's another weakness that they have. Their hatred for evil surpassed their love for Christ. And you know there are people like that? They hate evil so much that their hatred for evil is even greater than the love that they have for Christ. Now, here's the kind of person in the church that wants to check everybody out. Let's see what everybody's doing. Let's see if you have a hair that's a half inch over your collar. And let's see if you come into church with your dress a half inch above your knees. And let's check it out here to see that you're wearing a pair of pants, but your pants are, are, are tighter than the pants that I wear. And so I'm going to check all this out, and I'm going to see exactly, are you, are you fitting in here? Are you making all the rules? Are you doing everything right? And so the church has its own little police force that tries to keep everybody on those rules. And if you don't live up to their standard, heaven help you. If you don't live up to the standard, then you are, in their eyes, spiritually unfit. So there's no question about that. Here here is a church that hates evil. The only problem is they hate everybody else's evil. And that's always a problem. When you get people like that or judging others all the time, they usually can't see what they're doing wrong. You, You can't satisfy them but they don't care about the standard that they're living to. They've got a standard of law that everybody has to live up to. And their mean-spiritedness over this, that's not an issue because that's not a part of their law. So they can be mean-spirited about it. It's it's not against their rules to be that way. But if you look cross-eyed at them, you better be sure that you're going to have a complaint lodged on the pastor's desk because they don't like what you're doing. Well, watch out for those kind of people. Because they're not going to let love for Jesus stand in the way of pounding you on the head with their 35-pound King James Bible. Love for Jesus is not going to be so great that's going to keep them from doing that. So the church here, they have a fundamental flaw. 
Their weakness here is they are not holding up their love for Christ. And they're not showing love to people around them and being patient with people who don't do things exactly right all of the time. So here we have a church that's constantly doing, a church that's constantly busy. They have things going on. But the problem here is they're looking at the mechanical things of the church. Just a mechanical approach to serving God in the church. And you can't have that and not have a church that's fundamentally flawed. You can't do it. Your relationship with Christ has to be right. So that's the problem in this church, a church that has a fundamental flaw. Well, that brings me to the last point tonight. I'm going to try to shorten it up for Gary. The last point, number three, is the warnings and the demand against the church. The first warning that Jesus gives this church is found in verse number five. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. So Jesus tells them first, you must remember. Well, Ephesus, they look like everything but a fallen church. They haven't fallen into immorality. That's not their problem. They're as holy as you can get. So that's not their problem. They haven't fallen really into, at this point, any serious doctrinal error because, as we saw, they're able to defend the faith. They'd not fallen into compromise with the world. That's not the issue. But they're still fallen, and they're still fundamentally flawed. Where they had fallen was in their love for Christ. You see, here you have a a church that at one time, Christ was the center of everything that they did. All of the religious activity going on in the church, it was all centered around Christ. But that had been replaced. Now now they've got a different attitude about things. And here's something you really need to learn. There's a big difference between Christianity and religion. Christianity and religion are not the same thing. Christianity is Jesus Christ. It's not religion. It's Jesus Christ. Now, here's the problem, though. They've got religion. They've got activity. They've got all that. But they don't have the love for Christ. And here's a problem in churches. Churches with religious formalism have deep problems. And that's because religious formalism will lead you to a place where where you are colder than a popsicle at the North Pole. Religious formalism is not where we want to be. It makes a fundamentally flawed church. Now, Jesus introduces himself to them as the one who stands in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And I think that he presents himself that way because he wants them to know all eyes are to be focused on him. He's the center of all activity. And I surely hope this is true, that Jesus Christ is the heart and soul of Berean Baptist Church. He's the center of everything that we do. And if he's not, we'll have a fallen church. The second warning that he gives to the Ephesian church is they were to repent. Jesus says, repent. Repentance means a change of mind. Repentance means that you see what you've done wrong and you determine that you're not going to do that again. So here's a church they love to talk up the way that they love the Lord. But their real love and their real zeal was actually centered in the creeds and convictions that they held. The creed for them was more important than what the creed stood for. Now, I want to tell you this. I I am absolutely convinced that we, we really do need an unalterable creed by which we live. We, we can't be shaken from our, from our convictions. We have a statement of faith for our church, and that statement of faith, we believe, is taken right from the Word of God. It has plenty of scriptural support for it, and I would go to my death depending, uh, defending that statement of faith. 
But the statement of faith is not an end in itself. The statement of faith is a tool that we use in in order to bring men and women and boys and girls to Jesus Christ. And the moment that the document that we hold becomes more important than what the message of that document is, and when the moment comes that the love that we ought to have for Christ becomes secondary to that, that's the moment that what we really need to do is get down on our knees and we need to repent and we need to do one of two things. Either we cast the creed into the deep blue sea or we do what the creed is really intended for us to do, and that's to produce a heart for God. So we need to renew some repentance and renew our love for Christ. Now, thirdly, this church was warned to return. Verse 5 says, repent and do the first work. Now, here's what I think that Jesus means when he says, repent and do the first works. I believe that he wants them to do this. I, I believe he wants them to return to what that church was 40 years ago when Paul began to preach to it and establish them into a church. Back in those days, they stood up for all the things they should have stood for. They had the separation. They had the steadfastness. They had the serving. There was no fundamental flaw in that church. We've been studying in the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians is really one of the most powerful books that you find in the New Testament in its doctoral approaches. For people to understand what, what Paul was writing to them and to apply what Paul said uh, in the book of Ephesians, um, that had to mean that they had a great deal of spiritual discernment. Much more spiritual discernment than churches have today. Because, you know, one of the books that's fought over more than any other book of the New Testament is the book of Ephesians. Baptists, I mean, look at that first chapter of Ephesians. Uh, that first chapter has divided Baptists. It's divided the religious world. People come down on one side or the other. There are two spiritual camps there. And then there are some people who are not in either one of those camps. And they're more mixed up than anybody. And so there's all this argument over it. Well, well, Paul did not write to a church that didn't have the capability of understanding what he was saying. What would be the point of that? I mean, why write something that they can't understand? So here's a church that has far more spiritual discernment than most of our churches have today. So I think what Jesus is saying, here's what you need to return to. You need to go back to the time when Paul gave you the right direction. For churches today, I would say it's time for us to go back to those old doctrines of grace that Paul preached. Let's go back to the time when you're doing things for the Lord and, and he really was the center of all activity. And that's what we need today. And if we don't have it, churches will become fundamentally flawed. So what we really need in our churches today, we absolutely do need the concern for souls that many churches have. We absolutely need concern for souls. But at the same time, we have to know how those souls are saved. And we must understand that it's the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart that brings them to repentance and faith. And there is no other way that that's ever going to be accomplished. Today, Baptist churches have forgotten the truth of that statement. Instead, they base salvation in a decision merely that somebody makes. Do you decide for? Do you decide against? There's no work of the Holy Spirit involved. There's no work, no asking for the Holy Spirit to even get involved. And so our church invitations have become times of simply begging people to come down aisles and try to make some kind of decision when they really don't even understand what they're getting into. We have to depend upon the Holy Spirit's conviction. And we've got to pray to God and ask God that he will do it. So we need a church that has true love for Christ. We need one that doesn't dwell on petty differences. 
We need a church where families can serve God together. I thank the Lord for this, that in the past five years, I think Brian Baptist has become more of a family church. It's, it, it's become where uh, the families, not only in the family itself, but the interaction between other families is totally different than it was at one time. We need to be that kind of a church. We need to be a ministry where all of us work together. This morning's message, I said, it's all about a joint effort for Christ. It doesn't fall all on my shoulders. It doesn't fall all on Brother Dalton, on the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, or even one individual member of this church. The responsibility falls upon all of us as members as we work together for the Lord. So what we want to be is a church that is fundamentally fixed and not a church that's fundamentally flawed. And pray, we just pray that God will help us to be that. Praise God for Brian Baptist Church. That's my desire for this church. And I hope it's yours as well, that we are a church truly that has that heart for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we spent together tonight around your word. I just ask you, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of our people. Help us to understand what that really means to focus on you and have you first in our lives that no matter what, we're going to look to you for our help, for our, our salvation, for our sustenance and everything that we do. Bless our people tonight, Lord. Draw us close. Unify us as the people of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.